and welcome again to What Would the Smart Party Do? Another week where me and my good friend Gaz. Hello, Gaz. Hello, Baz. How are you doing? Yeah, really good. Thanks, mate. So um, another topic for discussion for this week. This week, what would the smart party do when confronted with Kickstarters and crowdfunding and, and all of that stuff about money for games? So a bit of an industry special. I guess we're going to talk about the various publishing methods and how things have changed over recent years and, and what it means to us as gamers at, at, at the end when we get books hopefully delivered into our into our hands for us to play games with and, and the ways that that gets produced these days and, and what's happening with publishers now that they can get their money in advance or sometimes at the same time and Patreon and, and all of that kind of stuff. So a big old mixed bag of topics. So um, so where are we at then, Gaz? What, what, where, where do we think we're at with crowdfunding? What's your opinions? Well, it's a really interesting time, isn't it? I think it's uh, still finding its feet a little bit. We've got this expectation I think that you can hand over money and, uh, and something will turn up but certainly for the bigger companies and the smaller ones to be fair you can sometimes hand over money and then it's years later before your product arrives in fact there's a, a common trope about you forget you've ordered something and it's quite a nice surprise when it turns up because it was three years before when you actually put the order in you think given we're away from the old distribution model or print on demand that actually if people get your money up front you should be able to get your book a lot quicker so I know one of the problems that Peg in Publishing had when they started was they had to sell most of their most recent products. So they had enough money to then pay printers in advance to print the next book. So this would seem to cut some of that problem out for the publishers at least, that they can get their money in advance. But it seems that some Kickstarters are fraught with problems. So why is that when we're given chunks of money up front in advance? They've got the money, so that's surely one less problem to deal with, but it seems to take them longer to bring things out. And then you've got smaller people who seem to be able to get books out now quickly, which is good. But then equally, some of those seem to really struggle as well and perhaps don't know how to do things. So I still think it's quite emergent. What do you reckon? It is that. I, I totally agree with you. I don't know I don't know where we're at right now. Kickstarter, which is just one way of dealing with this, is only a few years old. And we're definitely in a, in a, in a stage at the moment where everybody's kind of trying to figure out how best to make things work. And there's been some really big success stories I guess if you measure success by the amount of money raised and then the delivery of that product, might be interesting. You know, what are the success criteria for crowdfunding? And there's been some really big, you know, car crashes as well that that people are aware of. And it, it is weird for me because I don't use Kickstarter very much. I haven't honestly felt the need to do so yet because, you know, I've uh, over over the years it's gone from going down to your friendly local game store and and parting with your twenty pound note and walking home with a book to having Amazon deliver it either from that game store or, or directly to print on demand to to paying in advance for something that may or may not appear and that seems to have really moved really quickly and I know that all publishing houses whether they're into role-playing games or or whether they're the more traditional guys you know like your Harper Collins or whatever their industry has changed massively in the last 10 years absolutely fundamentally changed to to the degree that you see newspapers have disappeared I can't remember the last time I bought a physical magazine for anything um, because the internet just appears to be a giant magazine sometimes and, and why bother? Um, so things have definitely changed but I still have most of the time a physical artefact or at worst a PDF of a text. It's just the way it gets to me is different. And I'm the same as you. I don't know if it's better or worse yet. Um, you would think that the technological curve and the new ways of getting things published would make it easier. But I don't think that's necessarily the case. 
um, which was your first point, wasn't it? I mean, do we have books in our hands that are a better quality and delivered quicker and you know better games overall because of the the way that the publishers can get hold of their money i'm not convinced yeah i find it uh, strange you've got ostensibly big companies i think and we've got to remember that role-playing companies are all small fry in the, in the big scheme of things but something like the cthulhu kickstarter for example seems to be a great thing you know they had horror on the orient express and now seventh edition and they they had all kinds of bells and whistles and options on them and took tons of cash uh, but we're still not getting delivery now part of that might be down to the change of management they just had so that, that we don't know what was going on in the background there there's probably problems getting stuff printed in china and shipped across and all the rest of it but i suspect one of the problems for kickstarters i haven't done the stats on it but if you're offering um things like buttons and hats and tote bags and special dice and all manner of other things you're suddenly getting into supply chain and getting other suppliers to deliver a variety of things to go to a multitude of different countries around the world. And it's fine, it's good that you're offering these extra things and people seem excited about getting a, a plush in the Isle of the Tep or whatever else. But frankly, I want my role-playing book. Uh, so I don't know whether, I can't prove that it's causing an issue, but I do suspect that if you're going to go crazy on your, your stretch goals and extra rewards, that's something that's actually slowing down delivery of role-playing games. So for me, that's arguably something that I'm a little bit frowny face about and could perhaps uh, lobby for separate Kickstarters for all the extra bits and pieces if you wanted them. But perhaps suggest to people that they get out their gaming books quicker because that's what we want. Or it's what I want anyway. I would hope people like Pinnacle could get games out quicker, but they seem to be in the same old mode of... Uh, they're getting the Kickstarters done now, so they get money in advance, but the books are coming out very slowly. You get PDFs really quickly... But for some reason, it takes six to eight months after that to actually get a physical book. By which point, I've gone off that idea and want to play something else, probably. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My my poster child for that would be um, Actung Cthulhu, which was quite a big Kickstarter in its time. Um, and I didn't back it. And, and I, one of the reasons I didn't back it is I didn't understand it. Not, not the game. The game makes perfect sense. I mean, it's all summed up in those two words, isn't it? It's World War Two. It's got Cthulhu in it. Actung, got in him all. Come on, Jerry, let's go. Fantastic stuff. What could, what could possibly go wrong? Well, what could possibly go wrong for me from a Kickstarter point of view is it was just full of dice and plushies and mats and bags and rucksacks and posters and handshakes and autographs and, and everything else. It was just there was so much bling, I couldn't find the game underneath it. Um, so I didn't back it and I just put it on the yeah just tucked it away in, in my mental hard drive somewhere and forgot about it really picked it up years down the line probably years down the line it might have been months because don't forget and I think I forget this stuff all the time if something is successfully kickstarted it means it's available to everybody once it's ready so <laughs> and I forget that sometimes so I still got my copy of Acton Cthulhu without all the gigors and doodads but guess what? They forgot to put a role-playing game in there while they were busy polishing <laughs> up their dice sets. Now, listen, I, I don't know if the game was a bit shonky just because they were concentrating on other stuff, but it can't have helped, can it? Because, you know, these, these operations are, are one, two person operations at best. And, and if you're busy doing all of that, well, I don't know. It's got to have a knock-on effect at some point, hasn't it? Because, you know, my concern and it is a genuine one is we talked about it in a previous podcast about the amount of art in books is it really necessary well it is because it's what people want and when you see 
good games delayed because of a stretch goal for more and more art and art takes time as it should do then you just think oh god send me the word document come on you know i want to get this game played and the art pretty as it is do me a separate art book like you suggest because this is getting in the way of me getting my game in my hands and you really would think that the whole point of crowdsourcing is that you get your money in advance to literally lubricate the process but it sometimes seems to jam it up too much money appears to be an issue with crowdsourcing who knew yeah i think some people do get the sums wrong as well don't they I think for the art one, my, my, probably my thing I want to bring up there is I think Saga of the Icelanders, it's called. It's in a, a weird kind of a uh, landscape format and quite a small book. It's, it's one of those apocalypse-powered games about Vikings in Iceland. And I've been spoke to Pedro Ciavani, who wrote Mythic Iceland, who lives... He's a Brazilian guy uh, originally, but he lives in Iceland now with his, his missus. Uh, he wrote a big BRP book about all that all the myths and stuff, and they were eggs, so an apocalypse-powered version of that kind of stuff sounded great. And... Uh, it's, it's again one of those time lag things by the time it had come out I kind of lost interest in the apocalypse power games so I didn't really want it and one of the reasons it was delayed was because of the art and it looks like they've got the mate to do the right so we've we've, like, we've we extra funded it as a, a a crowd of people to get this special art and when it's turned up I wish they hadn't bothered so it's just kind of one of them and I got a map that comes with it but the map's a weird size compared to the book and I don't know where to put that and it's not very detailed. And again, it's another add-on that delayed the process probably to get it done and get it printed and proofed and all the rest of it. And I actually think it detracts from the game that we ended up with. So that's a bit weird because all that kind of stuff's down to personal taste anyway. So you kind of worry a bit about what are we actually getting. Now, I'm quite down with things like uh, are we going to get a full colour book as opposed to a black and white one? That sounds fair enough. That's just a matter of telling the printer that you want more colours putting in it. Or you know what and, version? And that's a problem that cash can solve. That seems to be exactly yes. what cash is for. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, I, I don't. I don't know really. I, I prefer it a bit more simple. I think one of the things I'd like to hope from crowdfunding is that because you have the money up front, you can you can tell your writers and artists and all the rest of it. You definitely get your money because I've got it set in my bank account now. You know, get your stuff done and get it delivered by this deadline. But it doesn't seem to be helping the the flow of books out the door necessarily, unless you pick good examples like the fake core and all that kind of stuff. And I think they did uh, exactly what you were talking about in terms of releasing the SRD. So we did get text documents ahead of time saying this is basically the game text. We're going to pretty it all up for you, but so you can get cracking and doing the stuff you want to do, i.e., play a role playing game. Here's the bits you actually need. So that's genius. That's proper good uh, stuff there. Well, just to, just to back up what you were saying there, I mean, Fake Core is is a great example of exactly how to run a successful Kickstarter, and and it led to Fake Core and Fate Accelerate Edition still to this day being pay what you want, which they can absolutely afford to do given the hundreds of thousands of dollars that they legitimately raised to fund the whole project, and the whole project was much more than here's a book and we'll get it to you. They made it a big thing, and I, and I know that those guys went into that with a plan. Um, a business plan because Kickstarter is a business plan um, what what makes me worried sometimes is that if I'm looking at a Kickstarter project I'm prepared to pledge some money but I, can, I will only ever pledge as much as I can afford to lose because more often than not and that's not a scientific survey but more often than not I'm handing over some cash to someone I don't know they haven't got much of a reputation or any reputation really because I've never heard of them 
and they tell me they've got their book finished and and I'd like a copy of it but I just genuinely don't know if they've got a plan I wonder how many people think I've got a great idea for a game book let's kickstarter it rather than the old-fashioned method which did work to an extent of I've got a great idea for a game book I'm going to write it and now I'm going to publish it they seem to miss out the writing bit sometimes and are waiting for the cash before they do that part that's suicide um, and it's, it's, it's burnt quite a few people and it's burnt some some individuals in the hobby really, really quite badly you know and there's no need for me to name names but we know some of the kickstarters that have been absolute car crashes and, and those guys will never recover from that they'll never be able to ask anybody for money with a straight face again in their lives yeah there was one that uh, I didn't follow but and also the guys uh, up in Edinburgh were really excited about it and it was um, not a role playing game but more a, a miniature set of rules almost for Lego so the kind of Lego technic stuff they were really into uh, building up little robots or things like that and it was great for kids as well and it, it, again it was a landscape design it was full colour it would give you different rules for the different missiles or things that your your robot might have all really good fun uh, and work, I played it as a demo and it was a really nice little game and they kickstarted they were successful and then the guy went to GenCon and sold loads of it and then sent an email afterwards going, yeah, I haven't got your stuff backers because I've sold it all at GenCon. Oh, no. So he took people's money and then bought stuff or produced stuff to then sell again and get two lots of money out of it. So your uh, reward for being a Kickstarter was you didn't get your stuff. And then to add <laughs> insult to injury, US postal costs went up. So the next thing he did was start another Kickstarter to pay for the postage so that he could actually send you the stuff when he'd done a second run of it, which is absolutely shocking. And I'm still not sure some people got their stuff in the end. They may still be waiting. Well, that's a, it's a salutary lesson, mate. And I, and I guess it, you know we say this sort of thing all the time, that having one skill doesn't make you necessarily good at a different skill. Being a good games writer doesn't always make you a great GM being a good player doesn't make you a great GM being a great GM doesn't make you a great publisher and and none of that stuff necessarily makes you good at business Um, and I suppose that one of the the cooler things about crowdsourcing is it does make it all very transparent Um, when you were dealing with your game shop you were handing money over in a really traditional retail environment where you give it to some spotty oik behind the counter, they stick it in their till and you get something in a bag to walk away with now if you're going to do some crowdsourcing stuff you kind of feel like you've broken through that that fan membrane between you and the publisher or you and the author and it feels like you're kind of helping out a friend um and it's someone whose blog you might have followed or whose work you might have appreciated in the past and and all that kind of stuff and 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 you're handing over your 20 or 30 quid or whatever it is and it does make you feel like you've got a sense of entitlement as well and that, that's the that's the downside to the dynamic you've got your kind of like your commercial reality of you've handed over some money and it's a bit like lending your mate some money and your mate not paying it back to you which is way more difficult than if you'd kind of given money to a stranger because you don't want to bring it up they don't want to bring it up you both know it's an, it's, <laughs> it's 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 the problem and you see those kickstarter creators who just go dark and they, they just don't bother updating anybody anymore. And then when you see something, it's it's like some kind of weird confessional on Jerry Springer about how they've spent it all on gin and hookers. Um, but, you know, that's this is because when money gets, in, gets involved, it becomes a different kind of transaction. And just because it's a hobby doesn't mean it can't be treated commercially. And I think when you see the transparency that some of the better people have done with Kickstarter is because they've been very real and very realistic about 
what's going on with their money they've done stuff like write it first uh, they've done stuff like you know liaise with their artists and their printers so they know what the costs are going to be and they're not putting in stretch goals that mean that they've got to suddenly double the postage cost to places around the world because they hadn't thought of it i mean you can't go from flogging your old marvel comics on ebay to launching a kickstarter in the same week you, you've got to you've got to get it right and, and i say that as someone who's never produced a kickstarter but from the outside as a consumer the guys who do launch kickstarters the best ones seem to have it planned out and they've got it ready and they're a professional operation although that doesn't seem to completely ensure you against failure um, and it doesn't seem to completely stop some of the small time guys doing really really well out of kickstarter too it's just, it's just random yeah it's seemingly random but I, th- I think part of it is, is you're right is that um that professionalism and having a plan uh, and also transparency is good as well i like that so uh, to bring up one particular kickstarter there's one going at the time of recording anyway by the time people listen to this it might not be but Raphael Chandler uh, is producing a second edition of his view screen game which is a game designed specifically for things like google hangouts play or um over skype and that kind of thing so it's 60 to 90 minutes you all stay in character throughout it's got some nice little overlays that go over the top of your screen so that you look like you're on a, a spaceship or whatever it might be now throughout his kickstarter it goes it starts off initially by saying here's all the stuff i've done which you might have heard of so he's straight away sending out the stall saying here's some things i have done previously and if you like this kind of thing then you might be on board with the rest of it and he has examples of play because he's he can prove then that he's thoroughly actually play tested this thing and it is written unlike some of the ones you've mentioned where they get the money and then they write it well his advertisement for the game is showing people playing the game that he has written already so that's good uh, he's got little bios at the bottom of all the people that are involved like there's a voice actor and a, an artist and various other people with little bits and pieces and a picture of who they are and all that kind of stuff uh, and really clear on what he's doing and, and most importantly I think on G plus or wherever else you find him he's really happy to engage and talk about stuff uh, and take things on board and offer advice and you, you just have that confidence that not only is he genuine not only is he proven but he's, he's showing you you know, it's warts and all he's showing you everything he's doing as he does it and completely engaging 24-7 as the Kickstarter goes on with what's happening and, and answering questions and trying to promote what he's doing so I think that that's a really good example of how to do a Kickstarter in my view as opposed to the, some of the approaches you've mentioned where people seem to fall off the radar or the questions don't get answered or you're not sure if they've written it or not I think the way to give confidence to people is to actually just show it you know, show through doing yeah. and I'd, I'd really recommend people go and back view screen by the way if I've not pimped it enough there already but you don't have to take my word for it go and look at the Kickstarter because that should be convincing enough in my view yeah and it, and it is and, and I think you know we've talked about like how do you know whether this Kickstarter is going to be worth you putting your money into or not never mind what the promises are from the author but how do you know about their rep about their business plan about whether it's legit all of that kind of stuff and I think you know the cream rises to the top I'm not in the market for view screen it's not my kind of thing but I'm totally aware of its existence and people I respect and trust tell me that it's going to be the real deal uh, and, and that's that's just a question of like you know being an active member of community perhaps but people's reputations are going to be worth more and more and more as this thing moves forward 
Um, and certainly someone like Raphael has got a fantastic reputation. People like Evil Hat have got a fantastic reputation and they will actively do everything they can to manage those reputations too because that's what the difference is between you wondering whether to pledge or not. Now, you know, if something's really small scale and you want to just go in for a couple of quid to get a PDF of an old school dungeon, you can't really lose, you know. It's, that's not much of an investment. But, of course, some Kickstarters are asking for a great deal of money and, and that reputation's an important thing. Um, and, and outside of role-playing games, you can spend what you like on Kickstarter. I've got a couple of my pals who are really into miniatures gaming and they're still painting the stuff from the Bones collection. Yeah from first time round I think Bones are on to two or three now and there's it's like a million yeah million bucks every time or some ludicrous number that may not be scientifically accurate go look it up I think the first one was I think so yeah it was just a bunch of cash Um, you know and good for them and and the reason that they would get away with number two number three and possibly four is because they delivered on number one so get it right and people will come back for more and and you know Monty Cook the possibly as we alluded to in the last podcast the only rock star in gaming um, with that kind of kudos attached to his name he absolutely knows how to manage his business he keeps it together and when he did Numenera um, whether you like the game or don't like the game he absolutely delivered on every single goal within that Kickstarter you can tell he'd studied it and this is a man who plays magic users perhaps this isn't surprising but you know he'd have got his spreadsheets in order he delivered on it so much so that he can't go 10 seconds without mentioning it since but fair play to him he's absolutely entitled to put down we have run successful kickstarters before big ones too and got the product out of the door and got it to people in a timely manner it is notable that he feels the need to say that and it's notable that that's a selling point you, know, you gave us money and we gave you a book yeah. <laughs> that's, that's like volunteering to be the tallest dwarf in the room in some senses but you know good for them so yeah there is some really successful ones out there but I think reputation is going to be the thing that really does drive that cream to the top and uh, cream to the top and it reminds me of the the d20 glut after the OGL after the open game license awful lot of stuff out there you know what a lot of those publishers if you can call them that aren't around anymore because they didn't deliver over time and i think kickstarter's in the same place now as perhaps the d20 glut was back in the early 2000s yeah i think that's probably right i think awful was the operative word there when you're talking about all the old gl stuff there was there was a lot of dross out there and you know people made a small amount of money in a short amount of time but i think you're right i I can't really argue with you there it's the reputation of the ones that weren't very good soon got round, didn't it? It didn't take very long before anyone who was into those sort of games worked out which publisher to avoid. So we talked about crowdfunding a little bit there in terms of uh, Kickstarter. I guess we should include Indiegogo and that sort of thing. But um, what other things have there been, Baz? Wasn't there some kind of model that Greg Stolze did? Ransom model, was it? Something like that? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I think he may have invented Kickstarter before Kickstarter got invented, but the ransom model for those of you who don't know it is really simple it's the uh, greg stoltzy in this case uh, the one of the designers for unknown armies uh, wild talents done loads of stuff for arc dream he's a novelist it's a great writer by the way and i don't think we touched on his work when we were talking about really good people in gaming but you know if you like a good read if nothing else get his stuff and he's got a website stoltzy spelled s-t-o-l-z-e yeah um look him up Um, and his ransom model which predates Kickstarter I believe was simply this he had the work ready to go 
and he would release it into the public domain once donations reached a certain amount. And just for example's sake, he would say, when I've raised $1,000, I will release this. And he would just simply wait for the checks and the PayPals to come in. And he's used it on a, a couple of different things. And what it meant was that, you know, he, he basically he could fund that work. He could afford to get it out there. And it's not very far from that to Kickstarter. Uh, so it's a, it's a bit of a Kickstarter kind of a twist on what Greg Stoltz was doing. Um, but that ransom model, I think it still exists. I'd, I'd be surprised if there were some creators who weren't using that model. Um, but they probably don't need to now that Kickstarter's made it so transparent and easy, uh, relatively speaking, to get your money out there. But that, that's something that has certainly worked in the past. Um, and then I think the one other thing I would say, and this, this probably sounds very old-fashioned these days, is the old-fashioned notion of pre-orders, which used to be a really big thing. Um, and up until very recently, Pelgrane Press, who are a company whose works I really respect, and I, I collect a lot of their stuff, they they stayed away from crowdsourcing, and, and they went with pre-order right up to 13th Age, which is not an old game. They've only recently got into Kickstarter because pre-orders really worked for them. And nowadays, Kickstarter is kind of used as a pre-order by some of those big firms. It really isn't to get the project finished, um, or into people's hands is is really just another way of of just raising some cash. It's like putting it up for sale and seeing how many they need to print. So the old-fashioned pre-order thing of like you know give us your money way in advance and as soon as it's ready we'll give it to you. Um, you know that you can see elements of that in some of the bigger kickstarters now. It's not really like the old Dragon's Den situation of like I've got this idea but in order to get it to market I need something from you. It's more like it's all ready to go but give us your money now and you'll be first in the queue to get it um, so th th there's a couple of things but yeah there's there's a million different ways to pay for your product now and I suppose the circular argument in all of this take us right back to the start is does it make the stuff any better um, and for to answer that question I think we probably need to take a look at you know what do we want from our role playing products and how much are we prepared to spend in both time and money to see it happen so you know, guys, these days, if you're going to get involved in, in a new book, because it's still a book, isn't it, at the end of the day, what does it need to look like for you? And, and how much value does it need to bring to get you excited? Yeah, I think one of the ways is almost definitely helped. Uh, I'm thinking back to something like when uh, White Wolf pressed the reset button on their World of Darkness series. Even to this day, if I go in my local, friendly local game shop, local local uh, there's just multiple copies of Gehenna which was their big book that was going to end it all and yeah, start again yeah, yeah. and I can almost guarantee that any gaming shop I go into in the UK will have half a dozen copies of that hardback now mm -hmm. that the money to make them all went somewhere and it's not gone back to the coffers of White Wolf again I'm not even sure they exist anymore is it Onyx Publishing now that run all that line mm, Onyx but yeah. Path yeah so, so the, the new the new way of funding at least means that in terms of bang for your buck and value for money at least game companies aren't sinking as much you know thousands of dollars into games that aren't going to get bought or just sinking money away so you'd like to think that money they are getting has been at least ploughed back into more books or well wages and all the rest of it as well I suppose but we should be getting more directed funds at actual games rather than stock that sits in shelves or on warehouses and never gets bought mm-hmm yeah. 
and that's that's a big part of, of multiple industries. I mean, that's essentially the thing that did for TSR back in the 90s was having too much stock out there and, and all of their books getting recalled and them having to pay on, um, on a ludicrous terms that they set up for themselves. And, and Games Workshop are going through this right now with their Warhammer stock. If For those of you who don't follow GW, they've they kind of blown up the Warhammer world. Spoiler alert, but there you go, it's gone. <laughs> you missed out there. Uh, Warhammer <laughs> kind of went pop. Um, and one of the reasons for that, and there are many, and it's, it's too big a subject perhaps for this podcast and maybe not terribly relevant, but is that they don't want to have loads and loads of different product lines sitting up taking half their retail store space for a game that makes 10 to 15% of the money. Um, and that, that space in shops is an absolute premium. And you want to have your newest stuff out there. The golden rule of, of business is that you make 80% of your money from 20% of your product line. So you've got to get that 20% of your product line dead right and have plenty of it. So, you know, the the way that crowdsourcing works now, as you say, Gaz, it, it does make the whole thing more liquid, keeps the cash flow going in the right direction, or it should do. Um, and it does mean that you would think that getting the money into the hands of the creator and cutting out all of the middlemen involved in the operation means that you would get a slicker product delivered to you a bit quicker. Uh, can't be convinced yet that that's actually at that stage. Um, I'd like to think it is, but it, but it isn't. And, you know, we, you can look back at, at some of the, the Kickstarters that have put more effort into their dice and dice bags than they have into the book itself, and, and that might explain why perhaps the effort hasn't gone into tightening up the rules. And it's interesting because crowdsourcing is a good thing, I think, at the smaller end of things and maybe even in mid-tier. I think it's interesting that people like Paizo and Wizards of the Coast and Fantasy Flight, as far as I'm aware have never tried to kickstart or crowdsource something of theirs. I wonder what D&D 5th edition would have looked like if it had been crowdsourced. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. I, mean, I, I think that would really beg a belief to see that Wizard of the Coast would have to do that, but they're clearly still publishing hardback books and sending them in vans to shops. Um, so it's not ubiquitous. It's still It's just another way of getting books and and kind of at the level of hobby that we have in the uk it should work for us and it, we should be seeing small time creators one two person operations really generating something good with the cash of their generous patrons are we at that stage yet i don't know yeah you'd think so i guess to sort of swing back to the question you were originally asking it's sort of what what's a book worth because one of the other interesting models that people have been trying recently is uh, pay what you want Mm. And I remember speaking to James Raggy, uh, the Lamentations of the Princess kind of guy. Uh, I think it was at Expo, not this year, last year, I think, if my memory serves me correctly. And he had all these products out on there, and he was just selling it for pay what you want. And that was not just PDFs or something you can download and decide whether you like it or not and go back to pay some money. It was actual nice, glossy, hardcover books. And saying to him, like, how's that working out for you? Because my alarm, me the cynic, my alarm bells were going. I'm thinking people are just going to take you for a ride here. But he said he'd, he'd made more money there than he'd done in any other year. Wow. But you don't know how much of his sunk costs he'd already covered in sales. So then it was just like, whatever he sells is profit, if you know what I mean, by the printing costs. He said you still did get some jackasses who'd turn up and throw a pound at him and take one of every book and run off laughing because they'd got mm. one over him or they thought they had. But um, yeah, you know that that seemed to be a model that worked in terms of, I think possibly for the the Kickstarter or other things, if you can get your initial cost for your art and your writers and all that out of the way, then it gives you some flexibility on selling things. But then uh, it's that kind of brand and reputation again. If I know that 
in a few months time the book I'm going to go buy, buy now I can buy at half the price later on why would I buy it now so if you mm. get a reputation for doing pay what you want does it then destroy your own bottle do you get a little bubble do you get some money for a little while and then it all disappears again because people think well I'm not paying full price I'll be able to get it cheaper later yeah, yeah it's interesting I've, I've recently done a bit of um, I've stuck a couple of pieces of my work up for free and for pay what you want and I'll soon be adding in some stuff for actual cash because I've always wondered you know what what is it worth to people because uh, a couple of years back I put up a 13th age supplement it was right about just before 13th age was released actually I was really inspired by the game so I wrote a bit of a setting thing for it and um, stuck it up on my website and uh, the guys at Pelgrane Press linked to it from theirs as well and it was all okayed by those guys and you know what I'm pretty proud of it I think it was a nice piece of work but I didn't charge for it and to date um, and I'd have to check my timings on this but how long has 13th age been around 18 months maybe two years well anyway I've shifted just shy of a thousand copies of that which is great fantastic it's all pdf stuff i've not had to print anything but you know i'm really really gratified that a thousand people have clicked god only knows how many people have played it let alone read it all right it's going to be a smaller number right but you know there's there's still there's nearly a thousand downloads and recently i put up something that's been out in the public domain before just put it up onto drive through to see what the exposure is like just by putting something on drive through and very little promotion i put it on as pay what you want which, as you say, is kind of like a newish thing. And the received wisdom that I got is that people will get it for nothing, but then they'll like it or not like it and come back and give you a couple of quid as a donation after they've read it. Well, I've shifted in a week uh, 50 copies of that. And again, that's a number I'm really pleased with. Not had many people come back. Now, that might be a sign they didn't enjoy the thing they downloaded. I don't know. I'd like to think that because in the other methods I've had it to go out there I've had nothing but positive feedback so it was supposed to be a bit of a canary in a coal mine see how it works I would not go back to pay what you want based on that initial foray into it selling stuff for free I get a lot a lot of hits selling stuff pay what you want I get fewer hits but it's very early days but it seems to be absolutely flying out of the trap so far I think as soon as you charge a quid for it I'm confident that I would see my numbers of sales absolutely plummet uh, I'd be lucky to make 10% of the sales that I have. So now that's fine for me because I'm, you know, I'm not reliant on this to pay my rent. So, you know, if I make a couple of quid, that's a victory for me. You know, it's not it's not paying the mortgage. Happy days. But I do wonder about the worth of things when so much stuff is available for free these days. Even I have to admit, and I'm like you guys, I'll throw money at anything. The idea of handing over 40 quid for a hardback book about a setting which I know I'll browse and I probably won't play seems utterly bonkers when the PDF is at least a half to a third of that price and even that seems a lot or there's some free stuff out there or there's some games that encourage me to play and make some stuff up as I go along which is equally as good as anything Privateer Press have released in the last five years so you know it it does make me question that when everything is available in so many different ways does it devalue the stuff that's already out there and that's a tricky one for me yeah i think since time immemorial people have complained about the price of role-playing games haven't they i think it's a discussion we've Mm. had over decades let alone years um but i think actually you've got to look at it and i'm sure we've discussed this a few times in terms of the enjoyment you get from the game 
And to be fair, if it's something you just buy and put on your shelf, you're probably not getting a lot of bang for your buck there. But with a lot of games, like the Earthdawn stuff we've got, or you know, My Savage Worlds, or other things like that, your D&D that you've got into, we get a lot of gaming hours out of that. And in fact, half a dozen mm. people get a lot of gaming hours out of that. And you compare that to the price of a Premier League football ticket, and you're 40 quid. Seems like a bit of a bargain all of a sudden. Yeah, and, indeed. And it's that kind of... If you're happy paying what you want, you know, not well... If you're happy paying the price for something, then that's fair enough, isn't it? I, I don't understand the kind of nerd rage and gnashing of teeth of a book. I think when it went up to like 30 or 35, people started getting really shirty, saying, why is this more than 20 or 25? And then, as you say, some books are 40 quid now, and people are getting a bit disgruntled about it in some corners of the world. Uh, but actually, 40 quid for a good book, if you spent, you know, 10 or 12 hours reading it or looking at the pictures or whatever... That's still not a bad return. If you get some games out of it, then that's even better. And you have a nice artifact to show for it. And if there's one thing I've learned from buying lots of PDFs is uh, I don't read PDFs. I just don't. Mm. I've, I've bought a lot of things due to the US postage prices and Kickstarters that are based in America and all that kind of stuff. Quite often I've booked the, the PDF rather than the full package because it's $10 for the PDF or $75 to get a book shipped to me at some point and I'd rather have the PDF now for an eighth of the price but the thing is if I get a book I'll at least look at it I've got Feng Shui 2 which I'm really excited about or was I keep forgetting I've got it because it's on a hard drive somewhere and I've actually paid $10 for not looking at it I think I might prefer to pay 80 and actually <laughs> at least look at the pictures so yeah I don't know Like what I, I think games aren't that badly priced considering how niche we are it's not like you can mass produce you know uh, Harry Potter books so they can just pulp them out and you can buy them for $5 or something like that. You know, mm. you don't sell that many copies. You might be talking about a few thousand copies of a major game get sold in some circumstances or what's considered a major game. So there's economies of scale and there's the amount of people involved in producing a role-playing book compared to an author and an editor and a couple of proofreaders. So I think they're quite reasonably priced, to be honest, but I know some people would argue with that. Yeah, well, it, it, you know, money's money, isn't it? it? It depends what it's worth to any person. Ten pounds to me isn't the same as ten pounds to a millionaire, um, and it's not the same as ten pounds is to somebody who's homeless. And I totally get that. But you know, we're talking about luxury products here, aren't we? You know, you don't need these to eat or to breathe or to live. Well, you do, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, they are very much luxury products, and and I always used to have this discussion when I worked at Games Workshop and I was in a Games Workshop the other day bizarrely and, and my mate who was with me dropped 16 quid on a Death Jester which for those not in the know is a single model for the Eldar army oh my word 16 quid I couldn't believe it and um, the proper jester <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah he was laughing all the way to the bank um, it seems like a lot of money to me yeah, my mate has got money it's not a lot of money to him he's going to get a bunch of enjoyment out of that and much like you don't read PDFs he probably won't paint all his models and, and that's just the way that it goes because goodness knows this hobby is about spending money you don't have on things you don't need and, and that's the best thing about it um, but I'm happy to spend money and one of the things that, that probably concerns me more these days about my RPG addiction is physical real estate in my house um, I kind of ran out of shelves and I went PDF a couple of years ago so I couldn't physically fit any more stuff in my house and I've still got it and I, I reluctantly sell off stuff occasionally when it hasn't been used for years and I know it never will be because I kind of like having it around you know that's part of the game isn't it um, and I think that to bring it the conversation back on track to publishing 
I think the traditional book publishers these days have realised that there are still such things as bookshops and bookshops will always be around and I think gaming knows this too because instead of loads of cheap mass market paperbacks people will go to a bookshop now to handle a nice artefact and people will pay premium rates for premium stuff now as much as in previous podcasts I've said just give me the text file when it comes to games I do appreciate a well put together piece of kit um, and you know a really luscious book with bookmarks in it and some full colour throughout um, and all of the additional bits and pieces that maybe some designers notes and commentaries and sketches and all of that stuff is great and if it's something you really want to commit to then I, I really like having all of those bits and pieces too so I think gaming is going to be the same as most publishing which is you'll be able to go in any direction you want you can have cheap and cheerful for cheap and cheerful money and you can have your black and white pdf of an old school adventure or you can you can go deep like, like people did with the old nobilis book the big white book from years ago and you can go coffee table and an rpg books are spot on for that kind of collector um, and again go back to games workshop they've always done really really well with making those absolutely premium books which are just printed on linen and they've got full colour art throughout and they're absolute masterpieces and they charge they charge properly for it because their gamers have expensive tastes and why not charge luxury products prices for them I don't see a problem with that I think as long as there's choice and there is plenty of choice that's perfectly acceptable thing for RPG publishers to do yeah absolutely I think it's uh it's it's funny because yeah I do get quite a few gamers who are sort of challenging on price of things and all the rest of it and going but I want this game but it costs too much and it's kind of well yeah I want to sleep with Mila Kunis but that's not going to happen either you know, you've got to operate within your budget not after last time <laughs> quite that order's still in place yeah it's it's about working within your restrictions there are enough role playing games that are cheap or as near as that you can get hours and hours of enjoyment out of they don't cost a fortune but for for people who have some money why not have the option available for something luxury and nice and full of the bound or whatever mm. I think that's yeah. definitely the future of it I just can't tell whether it's because we're all grognised that we still like having a physical book in our hands and maybe there's 14 year old role players out there who do nothing but look on their tablets and phones and don't know what a book is almost maybe you know, maybe use dice rolling apps rather than dice who knows crazy talk <laughs> you know this this goes back there doesn't it the whole premium rate stuff is it's always been the case you and i are of a vintage where we would have a, a dice set for the game not just a dice set for us to use but you get a dice set for deadlands and you get a different one for vampire and you'd have a different one for this and different one for that and you'd have a dice bag and you'd have this that and the other. i have special notebooks and special pens and none of us are afraid of spending money on this kit because hobbies ain't a hobby until it's got kit involved at that point it's just a pastime so you know having the extra stuff is all is all all extras for me love it um and it always will be i, I you know the guys are all rolled up who make the the really luscious dice bags and all of the kit and accessories absolutely have seen a fantastic gap in the market that really wasn't being serviced which is for people like ourselves who have got to the stage now we've got a few quid in the bank we have less time than we used to but we've got we've got a couple of quid and we're more than happy to spend it um on on things like that to kind of enhance our gaming experience and i don't think there's anything wrong with that and you know what if kickstarter does want to flood the market with dice bags well fair play to it because it's not like it's stopping the other stuff coming into my possession i suppose is it 
really, um, as long as it isn't delaying the actual RPG book hitting at the same time. And that's the only downside, I think, to it, is where people get carried away and, and think they're going to be millionaires um, with their OSR adventure, because, you know, guys, you're not. Stop it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nicking that old phrase from the theatre, anyway. Really, how do you make a small fortune in role playing? Start with a large fortune. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gamble it away on the roll of a d twenty. <laughs> so I think we've we've sort of covered most things there. I'm trying to wrap my brain quickly for anything else that we might have missed. But I think what we want still from our, our role playing publishers is a, a variety of options. So you want a PDF option. You want a, a black and white or a standard version. You probably want a deluxe version out there as well. And I think the thing that Kickstarter or Indiegogo or whatever facilitates is letting the publisher know how many of each they should start with when they've got to print physical books or other artefacts. It's not so much yeah. of a gamble of do I print 10,000 of this role-playing game because I probably only sell 3,000. They actually know how many in advance to publish and then a few more for the shops. Uh, so mm. if anything, it should help, I would hope, the role-playing industry continue and be more robust and help the companies and small enterprises that are out there stay in business fingers crossed mm. because people have been decrying the end of the role playing industry for well since I was in my 20s anyway so that was a couple of decades ago yeah the, the, the role playing industry changes every single day uh, the role playing hobby goes from strength to strength and I think there was another record turnout at Gen Con this year um, and every single one of those people who went to Gen Con would have basically emptied their wallets while they were there so there's, there's not a problem at a hobby level and it's just different problems at an industry level I think it's more possible than ever to make a living out of this business if you're good um, and that DIY ethic has been really helped by desktop publishing which we've talked about before and now stuff like crowdsourcing has taken away possibly the biggest obstacle to being a person who gets their works out there into the public domain because you know it really used to be that it was a bit arcane wasn't it you needed those connections to know about printers and about layout and all of that kind of stuff and and that big starting capital thing used to be the stuff that was a major obstacle that doesn't have to be anymore you still have to get your plan together you still have to make it good and legit and you know you can tell a lot about the finished product I guess by the way they manage their Kickstarter because if they can make that laid out well and do their little video and make it the promo work then you know the book's going to be good so said it before I say it again the cream would always rise to the top um, and I think to see the next couple of years unfold I think the crowdsourcing is here to stay I can't see that going anywhere different I think it will probably morph into something again um, but it will still be there and I th hope, I hope that people will have got enough of a reputation by then that it's still as democratic as it is today and that it isn't just a fresh way of having just five publishers who do everything, which is what we had to grow up with, and then nobody else gets a look in. Because uh, there is only so much money to go around. And, and I like at the moment that it does seem to be spread around really in a diverse way. And, and perhaps the best way for that to work is to have a reliable guide and and, and there's plenty of those around as well if you're on the UK Role Players website um, check out the forums there's a really good very very long running thread on there about kickstarters of note and there's a couple of those and you need to follow that kind of stuff to get the heads up because if you just open kickstarter and type in RPG you'll be there all week um, and so I think it helps to have have a guide 
and and have people you know point you in the right direction which takes us back to Raphael that we were talking about earlier you know I ain't going to get it but I know it's going to be good because people I trust and respect tell me it's going to be and and that's what you need in these days yeah absolutely I think I think that is a very good there's probably a model there somewhere you were talking about the internet being a magazine at one point I think that's very true that we possibly get to the point as the number increase of having that kind of your top 10 kickstarters of the week or whatever for role-playing games potentially mm-hmm. i know there are for other things so there's no reason why it shouldn't be um and it's interesting that uh exploding kittens got funded recently and that's a, a card game basically uh done partly by the oatmeal who's an internet artist um but that was the most funded thing on kickstarter ever it made an absolute shed load of money they went on like how many miles of cards they'd actually printed and all the rest of it that that was huge and that's basically a little geeky card game so I think in terms of injecting gaming as a hobby into the mainstream media that's that just proves that if you produce something decent and you've got the right team behind it you, you can literally make millions I'm not suggesting that everybody's going to do that now, but I think in terms of the longevity of the Kickstarter model and gaming getting more into the mainstream consciousness and the potential for more gamers being out there, I think all the signs are there that we're, we're heading in a positive direction. Yeah, well, I mean, Zach Smith would, would back you on that. He, he would say that, that you can... Uh, he did the maths on this recently and published some numbers and there's a bit of controversy because well he said it and that means there's going to be some controversy but he talked about throwing your heart and soul into something for three months and as long as it really is genuinely good and you've given it everything you've got and you've you've produced it professionally and you've got the right publish and the rest of it you can make a very comfortable living out of this game i'm not convinced and, and, and i would hate for people to have their hearts broken by this i, I think you know the chances of being a Oh, being even more than comfortably middle class kind of wealthy it, it, the odds are against you but just because I just don't think in the UK especially the pool is that big um, years ago we talked about what would it take to open a game shop I'm kind of glad I took your advice and didn't because <laughs> 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 uh, little bazzes wouldn't be going for university so you know there's there's a word of caution there it does take a little bit more than talent but you can get out there and you can make a few quid I, I, I wouldn't put the mortgage on it straight away I would keep it hobby because there's still plenty of fun to be had that way um, and you know for me and I can only speak personally for me the kudos of, of hitting over a thousand sales in scare quotes of, of my 13th age supplement is going to you know make me smile long into the night yeah that's brilliant I think with all it's done really or the, the model we've got at the minute is that you don't have to go through the distribution chain which you used to you used to have to print off thousands of hardback books and go through a distributor and they'd take their cut and then they'd Pay, charge you to courier it somewhere to shops and they'd take their cut and now you can sort of take all that away and just sell stuff directly to people and that makes it a lot more viable and like you say I won't advise anyone to suddenly give up their day job but I do know people who've had a good holidays off the back of a gaming product they've, they've mm-hmm. sold mm-hmm. one friend of mine bought a brand new car a nice Volkswagen purely on the sales of a role playing game so if you did well and did it good like you say there's definitely some pocket change to be had in there well yeah I, I, I'm going to go against my own advice here there's a fella in my weekly group 
um, and he's into minis uh, more than he's into RPGs. He's into RPGs plenty, but he really loves his minis. And um, Matt, who I game with every week, is uh, one of the creators of Guild Ball. And if you're into your minis games, you might know about that Kickstarter. And he's a uh, a hundred grand better off than he was six months ago, um, <laughs> which is great. He's never been so tired in his life, <laughs> and now he's having to, you know, he's having to get the goodies out to the guys and and that's that's going to be hard and and he's maybe looking at going full-time and giving up his his very lucrative career but that won't be till next year uh, but that is a real that's unusual you know and um and even he has advised against against that because he didn't plan for that to happen it just took off um and he, he certainly didn't he didn't have to go to the bank with a, with a business plan he went to kickstarter with a business plan which is in some ways easier but now he's actually got to do the hard work and um he's never done so many hours in his life uh, and his stuff is great i mean it's genuinely good look up guild ball it's one i really recommend and and that's going to be in, in all the major shops pretty soon if it isn't already and i think you can already download loads of stuff for it and and good for him but yeah he's tired <laughs> really really <laughs> tired and, it, and there's a man who needs to spend some of that money on a holiday i would say yeah I think the other Kickstarter I can think of I mean, that I'd, I'd, I'd recommend people look at, not necessarily back, it was up to about 20,000, so not, not an insignificant sum. But I think the the, the goal was something like uh, 1.6 billion or something like that. Uh, and it's <laughs> a bunch of British architects who want to recreate Manus Tirith. <laughs> I think they've got some places in Surrey and Kent that they're looking at as locations. Um, but that's for a pure amusement factor, it's probably worth checking that one out. Uh, which the thing I find hilarious out of it, as, as with all stretch goals and things, is you don't even get a house for that. You know, you back it at the top level, and you get the first option to buy a house. <laughs> but I, I don't think they'll make their. Uh, it's either one point six or sixteen billion or something ridiculous like that. But it'd be interesting to see it happen, and we could build a a, a whole castle again. Awesome. Well, I can't be that, mate. That, that's <laughs> the end of my tale. So. I don't know. I think at this stage, mate, if the question is what would the smart party do when confronted with a Kickstarter, I think the answer is take it on its merits. Um, it to summarise is uh, look at what you're going to get, have a look at the rep. If it's something you really believe in and you can afford the cash, drop it, drop the cash. And uh, who knows how long it will take, but there will be a pleasant little surprise in the mailbox at some point. And it's a good thing for the hobby and maybe a good thing for the industry. I think it's too early to tell. That would be my summary. What's yours, Kaz? Yeah, pretty similar. I'll, I'll not repeat what you said. I suppose the other thing to mention is that if if you want to get a game out there or a supplement or whatever it is, Kickstarter could be the way to do it. I'd advise you to have all your ducks in a row, to use business speak. Have your writing done or mostly done. Have your editors lined up. Have your artists working on stuff and ready. Uh, but it is, I think, a viable way of getting your nice little game out there into the public and making sure you don't lose your house while you're doing it. So definitely worth looking into, and I'd probably seek advice from people who've done it before. So people like Raphael or others that we've mentioned, or you know, Fred Hicks, write a write a letter to the fake guys and ask a bit of advice. But there you are. If you want to publish your own little game thing and you want some money to do it, there's ways of you now doing that, and that's going to be better than ever for our hobby. Absolutely, and if you really can't think of anywhere to put your money, well, we'll stick a PayPal button on our website at some point, and you can just send it to us, and we'll make more delightful podcasts for you to agree with, disagree with, or whatever you want to agree with. But, you know, it's our standard call. We've reached the end of this podcast. It's been fun for this week. Desperate for your comments, as always. You know, what do you think? Where, where are we at? 
with the whole publishing model these days? Is it something you think you benefited from? Is it something you think has gone awry? What's your horror stories for Kickstarters? What's your celebration stories? What's really worked out for you? And where do you think it's going? So by all means, comment. Please do. Tell me and guys where we got it right, where we got it wrong. And drop us your questions too. Um, there's loads of different ways of contacting us. Wherever you found this podcast, there'll be a way to get back in touch and drop us your topics and uh, for future discussion. And we'd love to have you on board with that too. So um, drop us a line. Thanks for listening, guys, and see you next time. Ta-ra!